Please turn with me now to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. He said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word and recognize that it is a divine word. It is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit straight from your own holy mind, given to bring light to the sons of men in their darkness. And Heavenly Father, it is not to be understood naturally, but supernaturally. And so we pray that your spirit would guide us in truth, that it would be proclaimed rightly and received in faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to Luke chapter 17 and these verses, verses 20 to 25. The immediate context is the story of the ten lepers. Now, it helps us to understand something that would otherwise seem to be utterly disconnected. This cleansing of the lepers, as I mentioned, the, the priest's that, were, that the testimony was brought to them that this had actually happened. He says, go show yourself to the priest. This uh, provision then for the cleansing of lepers, the celebration, the, the ceremony and the, the ceremonial law that may not have been used, probably had never been used before the time of Christ. It was used as a testimony to them. A testimony of what? A testimony that Christ had come. A testimony that the Messiah that they had been waiting for all this time was already there on the scene and he was doing things that no one had ever seen or heard of before, nor could they have. And so this testimony also was to the Pharisees and they rightly began to ask the question among themselves that they should have known from the very beginning. The the answer was, was very plain. Christ had come. He was the Messiah and therefore his kingdom would come with it. And they then began to ask these questions in verse 20. 
Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, they see these things happening, but they don't see all that they thought that they would see. He has this opportunity then to speak to them. Now, I think in the providence of God, we sometimes wonder, wouldn't it have been better had there been no Pharisees? We would certainly be glad ourselves if we were, were in that situation, we'd prefer there not to be that opposition and that constant questioning and that constant opposition. But actually in the providence of God is a very good thing that there were Pharisees because every time they doubt him, then he makes it all the clearer who he is and he holds their feet to the fire to what they have seen and what they've heard. And likewise with us then, we see it in greater clarity. We see with greater, with greater purity and clarity that Jesus is the Son of God. And when they come with their misunderstandings, and they had many of them, well then, Jesus has the opportunity to correct them. And that works for us as well. That's a good thing, that he had such an opportunity to correct every misunderstanding of those Pharisees. They said sometimes, actually, what maybe even the disciples were thinking, and maybe sometimes what we ourselves are thinking. Their misunderstanding at this point is actually something I think many people struggle with. And yes, I think those disciples actually struggled with the exact same thing. And it had to do with the nature of the kingdom of God. Their expectation, of course, and they were not alone. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone had it right at that moment in time. Their expectation was that when the Messiah came, when Christ came, that he would immediately be setting up his visible and spirit and, and physical kingdom right then, as it was in the Old Testament, as it was with King David ruling in Jerusalem, and the, the Romans would be cast out, and they would have a, a military and political victory, the kingdom would have come. Now, they were wrong, not because there was no kingdom, but because they didn't understand the nature of the kingdom. And in particular, they didn't understand the, how the prophecies had a double meaning and a double fulfillment. Okay? All those prophecies having to do with the kingdom coming, having to come to do with the, the Messiah, they had a double fulfillment. One in Christ's first coming and the other in his second coming. One having to do with a spiritual kingdom and the other one having to do with a physical kingdom, a fullness actually, both spiritual and physical, that would later come. It wasn't clear to them at all that one part of these things could happen and not the other one at the same time. Well, again, this is a misunderstanding shared by many. The disciples manifested that same misunderstanding many times. This whole idea of Christ coming in humility The very things the rabbis could not put together. They couldn't put together the wonderful things like we just read in 2 Samuel 17. They couldn't put that together with Isaiah 53. How could the Son of God be in such humiliation when he's the king? Not easy for them to see. Not easy for us to see. Many people, many Christians today make that same kind of mistake. They imagine that the work of Christ and the work of the church, and we understand that those things are certainly related, is concerned mainly with the outward things of the world. And they end up being overly concerned with things that they don't really need to be. And they're not concerned, they're not mindful of the very things that they're supposed to be mindful of, of leaders of God's church, ministers and elders. And that's all because they have the wrong idea of the situation of the kingdom of God now. Well, we should learn it. We should learn from these mistakes 
and we should know the truth. And this sermon is called The Kingdom of God. And I have three points. The first is an invisible spiritual kingdom now builds. The second is a visible physical kingdom is coming. And third, there will be warfare. Well, my apology for the long first, the title of the first point, it is an invisible spiritual kingdom now builds. And even as I was trying to structure and think about this sermon, I'm reminded of the complexity of this issue. In the end, it's pretty simple. And some of you will say that, that I know exactly what you're talking about. You could have said it right now and, and you don't have to say anything more. But others may not get it at, at the end of this or many sermons um, because this is a difficult and complex issue. An invisible spiritual kingdom now builds. Verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. It doesn't come with observation, with careful scrutiny. You can look for it and look for it and look for it with your eyes and you will not see this kingdom. Well, that, in fact, was the case. If they were looking for such a physical manifestation of a normal earthly kingdom, that didn't happen in the time of the Lord Jesus. The time of his death and, and and resurrection and ascension, who did he have? The 12 disciples, pretty much, and, a few, and, and some of the women that followed and, and, and helped the Lord. And, of course, well, actually, 11 then, right, because Judas was, was no more. For a time, it didn't even seem like Peter was with them anymore. So if you were thinking to yourself of this building up of this wonderful and glorious kingdom on earth, and you would surely be disappointed. You would not have seen it. You could look all day, and you wouldn't see a trace of what you're looking for. And as I say, the answer to that question shows them that their expectations were entirely off. They were thinking in terms of the typical kingdom, again, the way it was in David's time. And they're asking, when is that going to happen? And Jesus doesn't actually answer the question, when, does he? The question was when, not what is the kingdom like, or describe the kingdom. The question was when, and he answers by saying what the kingdom is like, to address that misunderstanding. And so in his answer, we receive the strange news, not of when, but to say that it cannot be seen, it cannot be observed. They're saying, when is this kingdom going to come? He says, look, first of all, you have to understand, you're not going to be able to see this kingdom. It's not a physical, typical kingdom. Because that then explains his answer when he says it's there in the midst of you. It's already there. This kingdom that you're looking for, it is already there. It's in motion. It is building. It's there. The rest of the passage now makes it clear that this is not a permanent situation. It's not always going to be invisible. It's not always going to come without observation. Because he then goes on to say that everyone will see Christ when he comes in his glory. There will be no mistake. It will be obvious to the whole world. Yet, yet, the king had already at that moment come. There already was a kingdom. Just not one that could be seen. Not one that came with observation. And here I just want to use a term that sometimes used when dealing with these things, which is called already and not yet. Already and not yet. 
When we think of the prophecies, when we think of the the nature of the kingdom, we have to keep two things in mind, the already and the not yet. Because already there was a spiritual kingdom being built. Already there were those pressing into this kingdom. Already Christ had come. And that kingdom was, was being built up. But as far as the kingdom in all of its full and total manifestations of his actually ruling the whole world, that was not yet, and it is not yet even for us. And we've got to live with that. We've got to be comfortable with the idea of the already and not yet. We live in the times of the kingdom, but it's an invisible and spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. Anyways, this is all explained as he, as he says this. Look, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Why is it? Why is it invisible? Why can't we see it? The answer in verse 21, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now that word within you uh, could also have this sense, and I think it does, of among you. And some translations have that as well as within you. And that's really helpful because he's responding to the Pharisees. And it'd be a bit strange if he were to say, actually, the kingdom of God is within you, Pharisees. What he's saying is, actually, among you, the group of people gathered before him. Now, the point, as I say, though, is very clear. You can't see the kingdom right now. Where is it then? Where is this kingdom? Wherein does it consist? Well, it, it is a spiritual kingdom. It is manifested. It is to be found in people, some of whom were among them that very day. And the Pharisees could look and they could see members of the kingdom around them. They probably weren't themselves. But these disciples were. There they were, the kingdom. It doesn't come with observation with the eye. But it's there nonetheless because it's a spiritual kingdom. Now, John, uh, the, the Lord makes this very, very clear. And, and certainly in John 18, you may know that when Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Good question. Are you a king? Kings have kingdoms. And he had heard something that he was being called a king. Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now my kingdom is not from here. You see? The already and the not yet. He is a king. There is a kingdom. But the kingdom is a spiritual one. And it is not of this world. And he makes it very clear if it was that his servants would fight for him. But that's not the situation of his kingdom now. One day it will be. One day it will be. But right now it's an invisible and spiritual kingdom. Well, that's what we have now. An invisible spiritual kingdom that is being built up through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit as the word is declared and people are added to the church. This invisible kingdom is built up. Now, just to add to one little more complexity, we probably have heard this thing of the visible church. Well, there is one visible component to this invisible kingdom, and that is the growth of the visible church. 
But even that, as our confession says, is sometimes more visible and sometimes less. Sometimes it's hard to see where the true church is in this world. It's not going to be objectively obvious to everyone. But that's the idea of this kingdom. It it consists of all those who profess the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, all over the world. And, of course, these people coexist just like it was at that moment. When Jesus looked out at them, he saw members of his kingdom as well as those who were not. Other people didn't see that. But that is our situation now in all the nations of this world, that God's kingdom should be built as the gospel is proclaimed and that kingdom continues to build. But secondly, so that's the first one. This is a, a, an invisible and spiritual kingdom that is now building. Secondly, though, a visible and physical kingdom is coming. Because he says now to his disciples, notice the shift. First, so the Pharisees are looking for a physical kingdom. And he says, Pharisees, it's not that way. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. Then to his disciples, he said, the kingdom of God does come with observation. Notice that? I'll read it again. Verse 22, then he says to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines through the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. Okay? So he's clarifying that. Yes, actually right now. And please do not think. Please do not imagine that these days of the Son of Man in which he's going to come in his glory, do not think that they are, have, have come sort of incipiently or kind of uh, halfway at this moment. But in the end, you can be certain that everyone will see it. The kingdom of God will certainly come with observation. Now, let me just say, before I, I explain that a little bit more, that there will be a desire. He is speaking to those disciples and say, there will be a desire for something that you don't currently have. You're going to desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And he understands that to be an inevitable desire, maybe even a natural desire of the, the people of God. I think that's, of all the faults we could have, that's a very excusable fault that we right now should desire to see the days of the king, that we should see the, the days of the Son of Man. That's going to be our situation. There's going to be a time for the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that they are going to look out and they're going to earnestly yearn and pine away for their king to be there and to reign and to, and, and, and to build this, this great and permanent kingdom. But the Lord is making it clear that they're going to have to carry on without that actually being the case for a time. A visible, physical kingdom is coming, but it's not yet. Well, if you have that desire, then the thing that should not be the case is for you to go after somebody claiming to be Christ. It says you will, they will say, look here or look there and do not go after them or follow them. The idea then being that some people are going to make, make use of this desire of Christian people to, to have a, their visible king back, and they will set themselves up as false Christs. We know that there have been many antichrists that have gone out into the world 
We know that there are false Christs who try to lead people astray, as the word of God tells us, but we should not go after them. Yet one thing that we can be certain of is that when Christ does return in his glory, it will be obvious to everyone. The situation now, which we kind of wish weren't true, that the kingdom of God is invisible, I mean, who among us wouldn't prefer for us actually to be identified as the kings? Wouldn't wouldn't we wish that our king were here and very visible? I mean, he was back then, and even then he was invisible. There he was, the king of glory. There he was, the son of God. He was the Messiah that they had been waiting for all this time. And they looked right through him. He was, as it were, invisible. There was no beauty, there was no glory that we should desire him. He came in his humility. He came invisibly in that sense. Yes, of course, he was there. And likewise for God's people now. We're invisible. We're the sons of the king. We ourselves are kings and priests even now, and yet no one recognizes us. The world does not know about this kingdom and does not see it even when it's there. And so, of course, there is a desire to see the days of the Son of Man. But isn't it wonderful to know that the day is coming when all those things will utterly be reversed and that an invisible kingdom of all of a sudden turn wonderfully and beautifully and brilliantly and obviously visible because that visible physical kingdom is coming. I mean, you can, obviously the whole book of Revelation is about these things, but All we have to do, for instance, is read from chapter 21, Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice, no more whispers, A loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. It goes on. Verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And goes on to explain all of its physical manifestations because that kingdom is very real and it is very physical and it can be seen and it shall be seen. And when Christ comes in his glory, there's no secret then, there's no whispering then, there's no mistake Faith becomes sight. And there will be a very visible kingdom coming. So we should not make the mistake that just because... Now, some people make this mistake. Some people say, well, we can't see the kingdom, so there is no kingdom. Other people now say, because we can't see the kingdom now, there never will be anything more than what we currently have. And that's wrong, too. Don't make the mistake that just because the kingdom of God is currently invisible and spiritual, that it will ever be so. No, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God forever. That will be perfectly united. The new heavens and the new earth. 
visible and physical kingdom is certainly coming. Thus far, the pretty simple distinction and all important of the already and not yet. There is now this invisible and spiritual kingdom. There will come soon this physical and visible kingdom. Thirdly, and finally, there will be warfare. And I take this from verse 25, but he must suffer, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Right? So the Lord is saying, in the, the future I am coming and every eye will see me. Even those, even those who had pierced him, this will be on the day of the great resurrection, of course, and all those will be raised to life, even those who actually put him to death, were responsible for his murder, they will see him. But first, first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, who's saying this? Who is, who is saying those words? Jesus doesn't identify himself for them, but we know he is, he is the Son of God, into whose hands the Father has committed the kingdom. He is the coming King, the King of kings. And he is saying that first he must suffer many things. That's really amazing. This king, the, the head of our kingdom, he, he must suffer many things. And the very fact that he can suffer, the very fact that he can be rejected and indeed be killed by this generation confirms what we've already heard, that this, what is happening right now, it surely is not a physical kingdom. And just to reiterate what we've already said, Matthew 26, what does Peter do? He's making a mistake again. How many times does Peter get it wrong? What does he do? Well, he's packing a sword. Nothing wrong with that. But he's using it illegitimately. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus, Matthew is very diplomatic, Mark, who was probably written at Peter's dictation, not so diplomatic with himself. And suddenly one of, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant on the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Do you see that? A basic mistake again. He's using these physical weapons in a time of warfare. There is warfare because there are two, these different kingdoms, a kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God, and they're in opposition. But he's thinking that the kingdom is in physical and visible forms. And so he's pulled out his sword. He made a mistake. He has to be rebuked. Or in John 18:36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Right? We, I, I say these things because they must be absolutely drilled in us This is something that we make mistakes way too easily on. We've got to be clear. There is going to be warfare. It's inevitable. 
these kingdoms are opposed. There's no innocent play going on between these two kingdoms. Satan has set himself up as king of this world, and he intends to keep it. He intends to keep every last soul under his care, and it's over his dead body, as it were, that anyone is going to go to heaven. Now, thankfully, we're going to look at his dead body as he's actually cast eternally into the lake of fire, and God's people will see that and rejoice. But we can be certain that there's going to be opposition. The kingdom is coming. It's being built up even now. It's, this, it's a, a rebellion against the rebellion. There's a rebellion against God and we're all in darkness and sin. And now there's a rebellion against that. Back to God. And the prince of darkness doesn't like it. And so there's warfare. It's, this kingdom is not going to be unopposed because we know that at the end there's no prisoners taken on any of this. One wins and the other loses and the other is fully cast out, done with forever. The stakes are very high. Satan knows this. But this is what has been since the very beginning. Genesis 3.15. I will put, I will put enmity, warfare, strife between you and this woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise, crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. This is of God. The reality of the warfare between these two kingdoms, it is real. But notice the nature of that. It's a spiritual kingdom that's building up now. We don't have to worry about the coming kingdom when it's physical. I I understand that we get to ride along with the conquering king, but there's not much of a hint that there's anything in our hands because Christ is going to do it and he's going to do it immediately and he's going to do it triumphantly and there's not going to be any real, there's a battle, but we know what's going to happen. The nature of the warfare right now, though, in the spiritual kingdom is spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom And therefore, it is a spiritual warfare. And therefore, the weapons that are relevant and useful are spiritual weapons. And we must never forget that. Both the fact that there is warfare and that the nature of the warfare is spiritual. There is an invisible spiritual kingdom now building. A visible physical kingdom is coming. The one we have now is spiritual. And there will be warfare. Now, what are the applications for those, those things? Well, before I get on to the specifics of this warfare, let me just first say that we must walk by faith, okay? If the Pharisees, who were pretty good spotters, so they thought, and they even had the word of God. We're there around looking for the kingdom of God and said, don't see it. Don't see it. Then that means that we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? Jesus is making it utterly clear to us that this situation now, the kingdom does not come with observation. He has also made it clear to his disciples. He said that to the Pharisees. And then he said to his disciples, you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't right now. What does that mean? You've got to walk by faith and not by sight. There's nothing to see here with your eyes, your physical eyes. Nothing to see here, is it? You've got to walk by faith 
not by sight. Our kingdom cannot be seen with fleshly eyes. Christ himself cannot be seen with fleshly eyes. One day, yes, but not now. Right now, he calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. We've got to see what those Pharisees could not see. There is a kingdom. There are people getting into the kingdom. It's sometimes hard for us to see, but it's true. Luke 16, 16, you remember that just a couple of months ago. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. It's there. It's, it's, it's on its way. It's being built up. It's hard to see, though. And that applies, of course. If it applies to the kingdom, it certainly applies to the gospel. That if you can be- Look, if you can believe what has just been said, that despite the appearance of an ordinary man, that Christ was the eternal Son of God, and despite the fact that he was arrested and tried, condemned as a criminal, that he was, in fact, the King of Kings... And despite the fact that he died, that he actually was the prince of life, and that he rose again the third day, and even despite the fact, the appearance, that the Christian church is small, a despised minority in this world, and even us, as we give thanks for these seven years as a church, and the Lord has blessed us, we're nothing in the eyes of this world. Despite all of those things, you can believe that these poor, weak people are the inheritors of eternal life, of the everlasting kingdom, and shall reign as kings and priests forever, well, then you're in that kingdom because you have believed, you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that which cannot be seen with your physical eyes, but you know something to be true that is spiritual and invisible, and all those things shall be true of you. We must walk by faith. That's how we got into the kingdom in the first place, and that is how we're going to make it through this life, by faith, not by sight. We must walk by faith. Secondly, Christ has not yet come again. His second kingdom, his second coming, it's not happened. I need to say this because there are some Christians, unfortunately, who say something else. There is something that we call an over-realized eschatology. I was looking for some easier word than that, but I couldn't think of it. Uh, it's preterism is another one, but that's even worse. But the, basically, the idea is, and this typically happens, that groups have predicted the end of the world. Groups have predicted that Christ would come. And when he didn't come, what do they do? They say, ah, you know, sorry, made a mistake. No, no. In their pride, they have to say something. They say, well... Christ did come again, and you just couldn't see it. He's coming to his inner chamber. He's, you know, there's some sort of uh, ridiculous explanation. And I want you to understand that that is utterly, completely false. And Jesus has made it clear for us once and for all. When he does come, there's no secret. There's no mistake. There's no invisibility. There's no camouflage. It is visible immediately to the entire earth, and there will be no mistake. So if anyone ever says that Christ has come again, you know they're wrong. Pretty simple. Thirdly, let me also say that the social gospel is wrong. The social gospel is not dead. Wish it were. Keeps coming back. So this kingdom, it comes without observation. If that's what Jesus says about the nature of the kingdom, why do we want to make it come with observation? Visible establishment of the kingdom of earth in ways that can easily be observed. 
couldn't possibly be the object of Christ's church. Now look, do we believe that when people put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and live their lives in accordance with the word of God in their vocations, that the world is ordinarily going to be a better place? Absolutely. On almost every occasion that we've seen it, pretty much everyone that I know of, where God has been building up his church, the world around them is in better condition. That's the byproduct. That's not the direct and immediate uh, object of, of, of Christ's church. We're not here to make this world a better place. Now, let me say, strangely, as people, just because we live in accordance and we want to glorify God in our vocations, and because we love people and we want to serve them, of course we will do that. You see? But that's not the mission of the church. It's really important because, again, we're talking about the nature of the kingdom of God. Look, if the kingdom of God is spiritual... And the way it's built up is spiritual. Then the mission of the church has to be spiritual. Right? And so the weapons in our hand and the means before us are spiritual, not physical, not carnal, not social, not cultural. I frankly think that this church is a dream situation. There are tons of churches that would wish that that would proclaim that the mission of the church is to make this world a better place, would love to be doing what this church is doing as we serve faithfully in our vocations. Frankly, I think the world is a better place because of this church. But were we ever to lose sight of the spiritual mission of the church, all that would go away, as it ever has, as it ever has. The social gospel is wrong. Fourthly and finally, spiritual warfare is real. Okay? The kingdom is being built, but it is not being built without opposition. And as I say, we have a spiritual kingdom. It's being built up spiritually, and there is warfare. And what kind of warfare is that? It is a spiritual warfare. We need to understand that. Because I think that, if anything, spiritual warfare is on the rise among us. Very hard to, to tell, very hard to see. If you could say that the kingdom of God comes without observation, I think you'd probably say the same with regard to spiritual warfare. We don't, we, we don't try to make it into physical kind. But sometimes you just know, as the kingdom of God is being built up, as good things are happening spiritually, then bad things are also happening as well. As Satan goes on the attack, and maybe, just maybe, as we celebrate and give thanks for these seven years, that that's our situation at the moment, and that there are many attacks in various ways, and that we should give ourselves, then, to spiritual warfare. I'll just read again from Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, not the obvious attacks, but the wiles, the wily attacks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole, what do we do in such a situation that we have a, a, a spiritual enemy arrayed against us? The answer is take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What? Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Does that describe you, Christian? Are you taking up this whole armor of God? Are you doing, are you participating in this warfare? Or do you think somehow that there is no, the, the war has been canceled? Brothers and sisters, the war is not over. It's not over. We will know when the war is over from the east to the west as lightning in the sky. We will know that moment. But that moment is not yet. And right now there is a war on. And we've been given our instructions to take up the whole armor of God and to do this spiritual warfare. Let's pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are those who live in a dark place, in dark times. We ourselves have only recently escaped, many of us, the kingdom of darkness, and much of that darkness clings to us, and so with our misunderstandings. Things that ought to be so clear as the light of day shining are sometimes muddled and obscured in our hearts, as it was indeed for your people, for your own disciples. O gracious Heavenly Father, how we pray that you would enlighten our hearts and that we would understand our situation. We would understand the nature of the kingdom of God in this world. It is now this spiritual, invisible kingdom, real, very real, but not one that has observation, not one that we can see, and that therefore we must walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we look forward to that kingdom for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory and in triumph and in victory, bringing in the everlasting kingdom of our God. But Lord, right now we know there is warfare, and the warfare is spiritual. Heavenly Father, how we pray that we would use the spiritual means, that we never lose sight of the church's spiritual mission, and that we would do this spiritual warfare, that we'd take up the whole armor of God and that you'd enable us to stand in the evil day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.